Well, good morning, Gateway. As usual, I am so excited about starting this new series. With our sort of teaching curriculum, we often like to do an extended teaching where we really delve into one book of the Bible. And you know, this is not one book, but 66 bound together. But we love to do that to see what is the unique message that the author is giving us about God. And this book that we want to teach on, the one that we're tackling, is such a great one and one of my favourites to read again and again. Now, this particular book is so unique that it took the early Christian community a while to get their heads around its different style. But it has now become a foundational book for learning Jesus. And when this book was copied by the ancient scribes, because that's how the Bible was transferred down through the ages before the invention of the printing press. These ancient scribes would often start it with a picture of a majestic eagle to indicate how high the author flies in his concepts of God and in the skill of his writing. Now, I am talking about the Gospel of John. Now, Something quite interesting about John, as you, you may know, if you know a little bit about your Bible, we've got the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament were, was uh, written especially about the stories of Jesus and the stories of the, um, the early church. Now, there are four books that are, that are like uh, narratives or the stories of, of, uh, uh, of Jesus when he was walking on this earth. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Now, each of these books were written for different audiences and they have different core messages that they want to convey. So they will emphasise different events or words. Now, three of them are similar, Matthew, Mark and Luke. It's, uh, they're called the Synoptic Gospels because these three books, it seems that all uh, three authors were working from a similar set of remembrances about uh, Jesus. But the book of John is quite different. Why is John different? Well, firstly, John was an actual eyewitness. Now, we believe that, that John actually saw Jesus was part of his uh, original group of 12 but Matthew, Mark and Luke were probably written by people who had learned the stories from actual eyewitnesses. Now, what evidence do we have of this? Uh, in John chapter 19, he writes, the eyewitness to these things was present, has presented an accurate report. He saw it himself and is telling the truth so that you also will believe. Now, John also wrote the letter 1 John, which uh, you'll find a little bit further on in the New Testament. And he, saw, and he said this, We saw him with our very own eyes. We gazed upon him and heard him speak. Our hands actually touched him, the one who was from the beginning, the living expression of God. So this is our evidence that John was an actual eyewitness. Now, secondly, the book of John was written about 50 years after the death of Christ. He was probably aware of the other three accounts, Matthew, Mark and Luke, but he had time to reflect not only on what Jesus did and said, which was covered quite well by the synoptic books, but what it meant. 
When his followers walked with Jesus, they were generally waking up to the fact that they were with not just a rabbi, a great teacher, but someone extraordinary, someone supernatural. And then they saw him die. They saw him alive again. I imagine them saying to each other, how could we have known we were walking with God himself? John's book tries to sit in the mystery of that amazing fact. Thirdly, the reason John's book is unique is that it's the one that records the famous I am statements of Jesus. Listen to these afresh. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the true vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, who could say such things and not be considered a lunatic? Only one who lived a powerful existence, demonstrating life-changing teaching, supernatural miracles, one who submitted himself to a sacrificial death, and one who came back from that death. That's who could say such things. The fourth reason John is quite unique is that John records more of the words of Jesus than any other gospel. If you have a red letter Bible, which is one that puts the, the actual conversational words of Jesus into, into red, then John has more red letters than the other three gospels. In John, we have the longest extended conversations with individuals. Think of um, Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus or the woman at the well. John painted with words a series of portraits of Jesus. And that is the essence of this teaching series, to look in depth at some of those word portraits. Now, some scholars have compared John's book to a Rembrandt painting. And if you have a look at this one, it's called The Prodigal Son. Here, you can see that Rembrandt was known for using like a spotlight technique, using light to focus the viewer's attention on the main part of the story. And it's obvious in this painting that the spotlight is on the father embracing the wayward son who has come home. John's word portraits are like spotlights on the character of Jesus. So let's talk about portraits for a moment. Have you ever tried to draw or paint another human being? It's considered to be one of the most difficult skills for an artist to master. I don't know that many Aussies would regularly go to an art exhibition, but thousands of us will go to the Archibald Prize every year. Now, this is an exhibition of portraits of Australian identities and it is probably the most popular exhibition in Australia. Now, why is that? I think there is something magical about capturing a likeness of a real human. And we are fascinated by that magic. I've tried to paint portraits and it is impossibly hard. It's one thing to get a likeness of a person. It's quite another to capture the true essence of that person. 
Obviously, no one knows what Jesus actually looked like. But thousands have tried to capture his essence down through the ages. Here's just a few examples. Some are sickly sweet and almost romantic. Some are gritty. Most are incredibly Western and don't paint him as a Middle Eastern man. Some emphasise his humanity. Some picture him as an otherworldly ghost-like figure. Some paint his power. Some paint his gentleness. Each of these paintings tell me something about Jesus. But all of them leave me wanting more. No one painting could ever capture the essence of Christ. But just to add to the fun, we are going to look at a different portrait of Jesus each week, one painted by an artist and one painted in the words, in words by the Apostle John, so that bit by bit we can learn Jesus. Why is it important to understand these portraits of Jesus? Because when we understand the character of Jesus, we understand the character of God. And this is all about knowing God as he is revealed to us by Jesus. The theologian N.T. Wright says it like this, it isn't enough to ask whether someone believes in God. The key question is, which God are you talking about? Jesus came to show us. Now let's, let's hear the witness of scripture. The key verse for this series comes from Colossians. Christ is the divine portrait, the true likeness of the invisible God. And from John, no one has ever seen God. The only son who is the same as God and is at the father's side has made him known. In Hebrews, this son perfectly mirrors God and is stamped with God's nature. And then you've got the words of Christ himself. When uh, his disciple Philip asked Jesus to show him the father and he said, You've been with me all this time, Philip, and you still don't understand. To see me is to see the Father. All those words from Scripture are showing us that the reason Jesus came was to show us what God was like. Now, let's hear some words from theologians that have been used to explain this idea of Jesus being the divine portrait of God. Jesus was God spelling himself out in a language that humanity could understand. Want to know how God feels about the sick? Look at Jesus. What angers God? Look at Jesus. Does God give up on people? Find the answer in Jesus. As Christians, our primary task is to reveal who God is to the world. And the good news is, God is like Jesus. So in the time we have left, let's look briefly at a portrait of Jesus I call the laughing Jesus. 
of all the pictures of Jesus have uh, that people have painted of Jesus, this is one of the few that shows him joyful. What a travesty! Because I believe this was the overwhelming emotion that people would have seen on his, his face, and the overwhelming emotion that he would have left people with. As Reverend Tim Costello said last week, the kingdom of God is all about joy. So let's read this first portrait from, from uh, John, from the chapter 2. Now on the third day there was a wedding feast in the Galilean vi village of Canaan, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples were all invited to the banquet and with so many guests in attendance, they ran out of wine. And when Mary realised it, she came to him and asked, they've got no wine, can't you do something about it? Jesus replied, my dear one, don't you understand that if I do this, it won't change anything for you, but it will change everything for me. My hour of unveiling my power has not yet come. Mary then went to the servers and told them, whatever Jesus tells you, make sure you do it. Now there were six stone water pots standing nearby. They were meant to be used for the Jewish washing rituals. Each one held about 20 gallons or more. Jesus came to the servers and told them, fill the pots with water right up to the very brim. Now fill your pitchers and take them to the master of ceremonies. And when they poured out their pitcher for the master of ceremonies to sample, the water became wine. When he tasted the water that had become wine, the master of ceremonies was so impressed, although he didn't know where the wine had come from, but the servers knew. He called the bridegroom over and said to him, every host serves his best wine first until everyone has had a cup or two. Then he serves the wine of poor quality. But you, my friend, you've reserved the most exquisite wine until now. This miracle in Canaan was the first of the many extraordinary miracles Jesus performed in Galilee. This was a sign revealing his glory and his disciples believed in him. There's so much that we could learn from this story, but let me just mention a few. Firstly, scholars believe that this wedding was probably close to Mary's heart. It was maybe a family or, or dear friends. Running out of wine was considered a major social disgrace in that era and would have been a terrible situation for the wedding couple and the family. I love the way that Jesus and his mum have this little discussion about the situation. And Jesus is saying, I'm not ready to go public yet, mum. She almost ignores him. She just walks over to the servants, winks back at Jesus and says, whatever he asks you to do, do it. Mary is revealing before anyone else does that Jesus is so much more. Of course she knows who he was. She was told by an angel that he would come into existence in a miraculous way. She gave birth to a baby that did not come from natural beginnings. She knew that Jesus had all authority. The second thing is, is this miracle was called a sign. Not just a miracle for revealing his power, but a sign, which is a symbol of something else. 
If this was to be his first public exposure, showing his power, why would the first sign be to keep a party going? Doesn't that seem a bit frivolous? Why wouldn't the first sign of God in human form be stopping an earthquake or, or blasting a troop of Roman soldiers into the sea or, or healing an entire town of every disease? What is this miracle a sign of? It's a sign of the essential character of God. Joy. The wine is presented to the host of the party. He's the one who's charged with making the event amazing. But Jesus takes over that role, virtually saying that I am the one who will make the party great. I am the one making sure that in the end, there will be dancing. He has all the authority to bring joy and celebration. Wait, I hear you say, I thought that Jesus came to humble himself, to lose his glory, to be rejected and to suffer. And I say, yes, but Jesus was putting even his future suffering into context. It's like he's saying, I'm going to suffer. Yes, there is going to be self-denial and pain and sacrifice for me first and then my followers as well. But it's all a means to an end. And that end is a festival of joy. The resurrection of his children, a new heaven and a new earth. The prophet Isaiah saw it in the future, hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Here on Mount Zion, the Lord Almighty will prepare a banquet for all the nations of the world, a banquet of the richest food and finest wine. Here, he will suddenly, suddenly remove the cloud of sorrow that has been hanging over all the nations. The sovereign Lord will destroy death forever. He will wipe away the tears from everyone's eyes and take away the disgrace his people have suffered throughout the world, the Lord himself has spoken. With this sign, Jesus was saying, I am the Lord of the feast. In the end, I come to bring joy. That's the reason my calling card, my first miracle, was to set joy in people's hearts, to keep the party going. So the question we will ask at the end of each of these messages is this. What do I know about God by looking at this portrait of Jesus? Well, I know a God of joy and laughter and celebration who is planning the greatest party in the universe for his children. Can you imagine that laughing Christ looking at you directly and saying, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to bring you prosperity and not disaster. Plans to bring about the future you hope for. After the pain, after the distress, after the disappointment, there will be dancing. I'm so grateful that that was Christ's very first sign. 
let me give you some homework. Over the next couple of weeks as we, as we work through this book of John, why not read it yourself? Maybe take a, just a, even a page a day or, or a chapter a day. Look for the portraits that the author is painting of Jesus. It's a beautiful book. Let's enjoy a bit of the portrait that a filmmaker creates of this story from the excellent series, The Chosen.